think those were our best video announcements yet. Uh, Gabby and Nick throwing down on the others who have tried it so far. No, um, not playing favorites there. Hey, good morning. If you're new, I'm Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. Before we uh, get into our message this morning, I want to say one quick thing uh, about our audiovisual situation. Uh, some of you have been asking, and we go two weeks in a row, uh, we have this new... Uh, we call it the Jerry Tron. Uh, Jerry Tron up here is actually just a gift. A, a guy who's friends with Jerry offered it to us as a free demo for a, a number of months, and we thought it'd be really fun to have it for our vision series and our upcoming all church series. And our original plan was to just use it for uh, some backdrops and scripture up during worship and some graphics and some other things. And then the week it was installed in a completely unrelated incident, we had a power surge and both of our projectors got fried. So um, we were going to have those and this and it was going to be really neat. And so now we're just saying thank you, Lord, that you had a backup plan already in place for us. Um, I'm telling you that so that you can give us grace as we kind of move through transition here. And you can also pray for us as we make decisions about um, the future and what's next in terms of all of that stuff. But wanted you to know what's happening since I know it's been the topic of much conversation. Actually got a note from last week that said um, it's too low and Pastor Dave's big head is right in the middle of it, which I found offensive. Um, probably true. Hey, let me pray uh, and then we'll get into our message this morning. Father, this morning we do ask for you to come and, and take this time to speak to us. I ask that you, Holy Spirit... I use the words that are spoken today by Matt and myself to uh, encourage us as a church towards where you want to lead us. And so, God, we, we say that it's all for you and it's all about you. And so be lifted up today. Get us out of the way so that you can be exalted. That is our prayer, Lord Jesus. And we pray it in your name. Amen. The year was 1940 when Cedar Mill Bible Church was unknowingly and unintentionally launched by William and Clara Schofield who in their home started a Bible study with simply the hope of people coming together to meet Jesus through his word. Eventually, that group gained so much momentum that they outgrew the Schofield home and wanting to create more space so others could continue to come, they moved into the Wesley Chapel a facility that was at that time where Grand Central Bakery is located right now. And I know some of you know where that is because I've seen you there. Uh, <laughs> Our church has always had a, you know, a sense that good pastry and coffee was important, and uh, that lives on. Uh, soon after the, 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 the small group moved to the Wesley Chapel, they asked a man by the name of Forrest Forbes to be their first official pastor, and uh, Cedar Mill Bible Church started Sunday services open to the community. At that time, it's pretty cool to think about this, that small group was renting the Wesley Chapel for a whopping $2 a month. Can you imagine renting anything in Cedar Mill for $2 a month? They actually also threw in an extra dollar to pay a young boy to show up early on Sunday mornings and start the wood stove so they could have heat for their gatherings. So for $3 a month, they were pulling off Sunday uh, services. Um, I just, just for, and just for fun, I got my hands this week on uh, Clara Schofield's journal. 
I mean, this has been one of those things I've been, I've been scared to have it all week. I want you to know, Pat, that I've been taking really good care of it. I'm like, I'm scared to touch it that I might break it. The first entry, this is like the matriarch of our church's journal. She writes a ton about our, our community and the start of our church in here. Her first entry is from 1943. Really, really neat. We still have two, uh, Members in our church who are relatives of Clara, she, two of her grandchildren, uh, Pat Palau, who's over here, and Dave Schofield, who was here in the first service, are both um, Clara's grandkids. Pat loaned the journal to me. And as I was reading through, she has so much to say about the life of our, the early life of our church. She talks about good sermons and not so good sermons, <laughs> proving that even people in the 1940s critiqued the preaching, so you're not alone. Uh, she talks about how the congregation barely had enough money to get by and had to scrape past, and how the calling they had from God was so strong that they persevered because they firmly believed that God wanted them to create a community here in Cedar Mill so that people for generations to come could learn about Jesus and grow in Him. Time passed, and eventually the group scraped together $8,000 to build a larger building. Eventually, uh, Pastor Forbes moved on, and Al Wallen came to pastor the congregation, and Al was a fiery leader who had this intense desire to push forward the mission of the church. I actually read a quote from Pastor Wallen um, it, this week in a, a book that was written about his season of leadership at Cedar Mill. It's called A Homemade Church, which I didn't think was the catchiest title, but the book is actually quite informative. Um, And in it, the author quotes Pastor Wallen as saying, we constantly keep our primary purpose before us, which is to build up Christians and to reach out to the lost. Just a statement I thought, man, we're still about that today. That's still exactly in the heart of what Cedar Mill is about. Soon the church outgrew that facility Um, started construction on what is now our chapel. It was opened um, for services on Easter Sunday, 1960, and five over 500 people came. So the people of this church like uh, contributed, scraped, had this vision to build this um, this facility, and then 500 people showed up to hear the gospel on Easter Sunday. And during that season, there's a whole lot of just wonderfully innovative outreach happening. There was a 20s and 30s group called TNT and a ministry called Cradle Roll where the church would actually go out to the women of the community, even people who were not a part of the church, um, uh, pregnant women, women who had just had children, to encourage them and help them and support them just as a way of being the hands and feet of Jesus. Missionaries were sent out around the world. Um, Pat, or Pat and Luis Palau were commissioned in 1961. And then there were some other really good missionaries too, right, Luis? Um, no, Luis was, uh, the, the world impact from that um, was huge. In 1969, there was this continued vision to reach more out into the community. And so the church had this radical idea, let's build a gymnasium. Now, a lot of churches have gymnasiums these days, but back then that was a real rare thing. And the church did it. Why? Because they wanted the community to come onto campus so they could love them. And they started sports leagues specifically for youth, the most popular of which was called Mini League, where hundreds of of, of youth and families came to play basketball. And some stayed and heard the gospel and met Jesus. There was also a number of home groups. Again, almost every church in America these days has some version of home groups. Uh, 
create small groups for people to gather and study the word of God and connect with one another. But that was not common back then. Cedar Mill pioneered this idea of, of small groups in the church. Uh, Cedar Mill, I like to say, was doing small groups before small groups were cool. Also woven into the fabric of this congregation was always this sense that we're not just here for ourselves. The community groups would regularly put out a chair, an empty chair, just so even as they gathered in homes, they would remember this group is not just for us, but we're also thinking about the people who are not yet with us. There were pioneers clubs for young girls to be discipled and Awana was started and then came this huge moment in the life of Cedar Mill. It was 1987 and that was the year the church took, took this huge risk, a giant step of faith, a major chance and they hired a guy from California of all places, a kid really at that time, by the name of Carl Palmer. And... Uh, <laughs> 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 Is Carl here? Do you hear Carl? Did you come? Carl had a cold yesterday, so I was hoping he'd make it, but it didn't look like he did. Um, I, I, I want to know how old he was in that picture. Someone's going to tell me after service, I hope. I was talking to Carl this week about that. I said, hey, is it okay if I have fun with you a little bit? And he said, absolutely. And he said, to be honest, they really took a huge chance on me. I had no idea what I was doing. I'd never led a church before. I was scared to death. And in fact, some of you who are around in those days have told me that the thing they remember most about Carl when he first came is that he, he would not look up at the crowd because he was so scared he would just look down and actually people from the congregation thought he was using a teleprompter and they would tell their friends our pastor uses a teleprompter he looks at it in the front row um, which I think is funny um, and Carl, but Carl got over that and people continued to come to hear the word of God taught at Cedar Mill and then Again, the church made a tough decision, a bold move to move worship services from the chapel, the beloved chapel, into the gym. Worship in a gym. Now again, in our day, people aren't as concerned about those things, but back then that was kind of on the edge. And they did it. Why? Because kingdom mission mattered more to them than building comfort. And there were women's mentorship programs. And, and in the year 2000, the church heard about this new nationwide ministry to foster kids that was reaching out to them with a week of camp and the love of Jesus. And for the very first year of Royal Family, our church was asked to support another church that was actually doing a camp. And the big goal, the, the enormous like hope and step of faith was that we might maybe come up with 32 birthday boxes to offer this other camp. And in that first year, Cedar Mill came up with 285. Needless to say, the next summer we started our first camp with 33 campers and 40 staff, and then 16 later, 16 years later, we're still going. And now hundreds and hundreds of kids have felt the love of Jesus through Cedar Mill's Royal Family Kids Camp. Yeah, that's good. Friends, we, we could go on and on. We could talk about the Saturday night service that turned into a church plant that is now uh, a solid rock, a Jesus church that has reached thousands of people, all started here. And then there's the building that we're sitting in right now. Uh, Carl told me that he did not want to build this building, that he resisted it for years. But finally, the, the word came from God so clearly to the leadership that they uh, undertook to build this space. Rich Berry told me, they said, we didn't build it for us. We built it for the next generation. We built it for you. And I, that was a sobering comment to me um, that he made. And 
Some of you were a part of this when this facility was built. The, before the carpet went in, the church gathered and then with permanent markers wrote on the floor hopes and, and dreams and prayers and scriptures. And so friends, we are figuratively and also now literally standing on the faith of those that came before us. And that's the point. That, that's why I'm sharing all this with you, because this vision that we have been ta- talking about for these last few weeks, this series that we've been diving into, this mission that we are a part of, it's not a departure from the past, it's an extension of it. It's us saying, people have gone before us and trusted God for new and great things, and in, this, in the same spirit, we will walk in their footsteps, we will stand on their shoulders. Friends, do you, do you know how... How amazing it is, what a blessing and gift it is to be a part of a community that since 1940 has together in good times and in hard times sought God and remembered his promises and declared his truth and offered the life-transforming hope of God's grace in fresh and innovative ways that our world is longing to experience. I'll say it again, friends. We stand on the shoulders that come before us. Our story is linked to their story. Our vision is the next season and the next step of their vision. This era, friends, of Cedar Mill Bible Church is ours now with the help of God to direct. And the question is this. What will we do with our time? What Will we follow in the spirit of trust and community and innovation and outreach that those who came before us had? Will we walk with God and trust him for as much as they trusted him for? Because this is our leg of the race. This last week, my, my son Dax had a funny interaction with my wife, and, and I asked him if I could share this with you, and he very humbly and graciously said yes. But this is actually one of those moments when it's a little bit vulnerable to be the pastor's kid. And so I'm going to share this story with you, but I'm asking you not to tease him about it. Don't harass him in the lobby. Don't even bring it up to him. But it is a pretty classic story. He, he's playing soccer this year, and my son is really excited specifically about playing goalie. And so my wife was picking him up from practice about a week and a half ago, and she asked him, hey, did you get to play goalie today? And he said, yeah, and guess what? Coach told me I was the best goalie he's ever had, and that I'm going to play goalie for three-fourths of the game this week. And my wife was like, wow, Really? That's amazing, bud. Tell me exactly what the coach said. And so Dak sort of paused for a minute, and then he said, well, he said, good job. But I feel like those are kind of similar. And this is my wife kind of like, what? And she's laughing, and she says, good job. That's all he said? And he says, yeah. She said, well, did he say you were going to get to play three quarters of the game? And he says, well, no, but I think he will. So... Hear this again. My son was told, good job. And what he heard was, you are the best goalie I've ever had, and you're going to get to play three quarters of the game this week. How's that for interpretation? I mean, don't you wish you could hear life through the ears of a 10-year-old boy? I mean, think how much better your life would be if you listened to the things the way my son does. It would make my Sundays great. 
you guys would all be lobbing me the obligatory nice sermon pastor and what I would hear is that's the greatest message I've ever heard you changed my life today pastor Dave mic drop I'm out of here I'm going home feeling like on top of the world you know that's you know unbelievable unbelievable um and and I love the fact that he was let let me share it uh friends we all on some level have selective hearing that's the truth right some of us like Dax hear too much (laughs) some of us hear too little and so this morning what we want to do is want to get clear with you we want to review and restate again where we are as a church where we're headed what we're all about, what's at the center of our community, and where we believe God is asking us to go together on this next leg of the race for Cedar Mill Bible Church. And so let me take us back to the place where we're starting, the place that's in the middle, and that's our mission. Say it with me. Becoming like Jesus and making him known. Just that simple, isn't it? Becoming like Jesus and making him known. Uh, Steve Hanamura, uh, who uh, some of you know, uh, Steve's here, he's down front today. He's kind of sort of been like an organizational coach for me ever since I showed up. Steve just has great leadership gifts and intuition. And and he was talking to me about mission. And he said, you know, a mission is not as much where a group is going, but it's, it's from where they are starting. That's a, that's a mission. It's a starting place. It's a foundation. It's an anchor. And that makes sense, friends, because remember, God does not give his people a mission. He gives his mission a people. Our mission is our starting place. It's our anchor. It's our foundation. It's the place from which we go. It defines who we are. Becoming like Jesus and making him known. And, and friends, from that place, we have a vision. What if we lived from there? What if we lived into that? What if that truly was the driving force of this community? What would that look like? Who would we become? Where are we going? And that's our vision. A grace-fueled people marked by growing faith and radical love and relevant hope. And that's what we've been talking about these last few weeks. And today, we want to kind of put it all together for you. We want you to see the whole picture of where exactly we are headed as a church. And, uh, and it starts with understanding that our vision is founded in and modeled after our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Pastor Matt's going to come and he's going to talk about that. So you have this great Frodo opportunity here where Dave says, what are you going to do with the time that's been given to you? And so you, maybe you're in a dark cave or I don't know, but it's a great Tolkien moment. What? I just love that. All I saw was hobbits when Dave asked that question. So the rest of you are like, I was in the middle of listening to a sermon. What are you talking about? Why are you up here? Well, we're going to tag team this a little bit. Who are you? Um, so we're, what we want to do is just kind of together in concert and maybe in stereo, just talk about this vision. This, this, this mission is, is becoming like Jesus, right? And, and making him known. As Dave just said, this, this sums up what the scriptures teach about really what, what the church is called into. And the vision is to live as a grace-fueled community marked by growing faith and radical love and relevant hope. Sounds pretty good, right? So what I want to talk to you about a little bit is that we think this is a really beautiful thing because it's a representation or a reflection of what we see in Jesus himself, 
right? And so here's my question. Have you ever thought about Jesus this way? Have you ever thought about Jesus as not just being Savior and Lord, though he's certainly that, not just Savior and Lord, but also God's unique vision for human life? Have you ever thought about Jesus like that? That Jesus is the truly human. Here's here's what we get when we open up the Gospel of John. John, in his eyewitness testimony of the the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, begins by, by calling Jesus a weird word called the logos, or the word. And he says, the word in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. So the word is God. But then in verse 14, he says, the word became, anyone know it? Flesh, right? Made his dwelling among us. And so we've beheld the glory, right, of God in his only begotten, Jesus, his son. And so we have in Jesus this vision of God taking on humanity, putting humanity on himself. And so the theologians call him the God-man, that he's God and man. This is important for our salvation, of course, because as our high priest, he represents God to us and us to God, all in his nature. But this isn't really just about being rescued from sin and darkness and hopelessness, but this is also fundamental to how we live every moment of our day. See, if Jesus isn't just Savior and Lord, but he's also blueprint for human life, then you can look at the life of Jesus and begin to think... You know, these rhythms, this character, this way of being is also applicable to me. Because it's really easy to look at Jesus in the Gospels as he's doing really crazy things like sending demons into pigs and walking on water, though I don't think that water thing is for us. I think the rest of, a lot of it's for us, right? We look at it and we go, well, it's because he was God, right? He was nice to people because he was God, right? He was sacrificial because that's kind of God's job. Isn't that God's job description? But Jesus is the truly human. And so he's showing us what human life is supposed to look like. And so uh, the author of Hebrews says that that, uh, Jesus is our faithful high priest. He sympathizes with us in our weakness because he was exactly as we are. Hebrews 2.17 says that he was fully human in every way. And so when we look at Jesus, we're not getting just a picture of God. We're also getting a picture, a blueprint of human life. And he displays beautifully this life of faith, love, and hope. And so what I want to do for the next few minutes is just anchor these ideas back into your imagination again, just that these are rooted in the person of Jesus himself. And if you are a follower of him, that these are the ways that he calls you to live into. So let's just take a look, just a quick, quick tour of Jesus for a second. He's this person of perfect faith, isn't he? With the snapshot that comes to my mind is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is this garden scene in the end of the Gospel of Matthew before he's arrested, beaten, crucified. And he's, he knows what's coming, right? and he's wrestling in this garden. What's he doing? He's sweating uh, tears and sweat drops of blood. He's in agony. He's suffering, right? And he's, he's really wrestling with this. And he's saying to the Father, right, I really want this to pass from me. Right? But not my will, your will be done. This is such an expression of submission and faith and trust. 
And Jesus says to his disciples, come follow me. Come follow me on a path of trusting and knowing the living God, living lives surrendered to him. But he's not just a person of radical faith. He's a person of radical love. He has this this incredible way of interacting with every kind of person, the irreligious person and the religious person, the ones who adore him and the ones that despise him. And Jesus is this remarkable expression of love. He, uh, he, in this one moment, in John's Gospel again, in chapter 13, John prefaces this section. He says, now he shows the hour had come and Jesus would show his disciples the full extent of his love, John says. And so what does he do? He gets out of his dignified rabbi uniform and he puts on the, uh, the clothes of a slave, of a servant. And what does he do? He gets down on his knees and he begins this divine pedicure, right? He, he begins to scrub out the grime and the grit from the nasty feet of 12 dudes. That is not a job anyone wants to do. And yet, the God of the universe condescends to this place of humility and he washes feet and he, he gets up and he says, now that I've served you, you serve one another, right? Love one another as I've loved you. And so what we see in Jesus' character is that he, he loves in this way where no act of love is beneath him and no person is beneath his love. It's a radical love. But he also offers relevant hope. He meets people exactly where they are. All throughout the Gospels, he meets the crippled and he gives them the ability to walk. He meets the blind and he gives them the ability to see. And he he comes to the demon-possessed and he liberates them from the bonds of darkness. And people are transformed when they meet up with him. It's remarkable. There's this one scene that, again, in John's Gospel, John, for whatever reason, is fully immersed in my imagination right now. So I think of John 5 and the scene where this poor man is crippled and he cannot get to this this pool where he believes there's healing waters and he's always last in line and Jesus comes and he finds him and he speaks these words that bring hope like no one's brought before. He says, do you want to get well? And in his question is an invitation to new creation, new reality. So we're hopeless because we think that what we see is all there is and Jesus comes and he says, there's far more. There's my kingdom And so Jesus, when he was risen from the dead, what does he say to his disciples? He comes in John chapter 20, and he stands in the room with the disciples who are shocked that he's conquered death. They don't believe it. And he says, Shalom, peace to you. As the Father sent me, so I send you. And so not only does he invite us to come with him, be like him in faith, to love as he's loved, but also he sends us as he's been sent to offer relevant hope to a hopeless world. So I want to invite Dave to come back up here and talk with us about how practically do we live into this vision of becoming like Jesus and making him known. How do we live it? Thanks, Matt. this, this, This message is called Vision to Reality because there's this moment where you talk about vision and you paint this picture of here, this is who we want to be and where we want to go and what we want to become. But how do you actually do it? How do you make that picture of what you want become reality? How do you implement? How do you go from A 
to be. And uh, I guess I'll take my cues again from Jesus. Uh, if we see that we want to move towards Jesus, we want to move from becoming like him, making him known towards being the people that, that he models for us to be. And that's how we believe that, that this is going to happen. How do we do it? How do we actually live into that? Jesus um, gave a vision talk once. His wasn't a three-part series. It was just one great sermon. It was maybe the greatest vision sermon of all time. It was delivered on a little hill uh, called a mount, which is why we call it the Sermon on the Mount. It was Jesus' vision for the kingdom of God, heaven come to earth, God's power at work in and through people and what that would look like and what it could accomplish. And then at the very end of that, Jesus has his vision to reality moment. At the end of that sermon, he says, all right, it's a great picture. Isn't it a beautiful picture? of who you can be and what the kingdom can look like and what community life can can entail. And people are like, yeah. And he says, well, how's it going to become real? And then he speaks these words. He speaks these words at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the floods came up, the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. What's he saying? He's saying, if you just hear this message and you say, good sermon, Jesus, nice work, pastor, and you go about your life and nothing ever changes, you never act, you never implement, you never put anything into practice... Well, then guess what? Your house is not built on the rock. You actually have to kind of cross the knowing-hearing gap into doing, acting, implementing. And so our question today is how do we move towards these things? How do we move towards um, becoming a people of, of growing faith and radical love and relevant hope? And I just want to talk to you about, in a real practical way, how we see this happening around here. Because this is actually where the rubber meets the road. This is where your life can change and our community can change and the vision can become real when we will implement together. And we want to talk about this on two different levels. First of all, uh, on a personal level. Next slide. We think that on some level, every single person here is going to have an opportunity to just, in your life, in your personal life, implement some practices that will help you move towards looking more like Jesus and making him known, looking more like a person of growing faith and radical love and relevant hope. There maybe are some spiritual practices, just real simple things like reading your Bible or spending time in prayer or journaling or even just sitting in solitude and listening to God. It just seems so basic. And yet so many Christ followers go through life without ever being connected to Christ, never actually connecting with God. And so I think there are spiritual practices that are going to need to be taken up and grabbing a hold of. There are relational practices. You see, it's one thing to talk about radical love, but, but Jesus says, you know, the, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your, your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. And he says, and then love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, who are the people closest to you? Who are the people um, who are in your life? Are you loving them? Are you adopting relational practices that reflect Jesus? Are you inviting Jesus into the moments where you interact with others? And yes, I'm talking about your family, your parents, your kids, your spouse. I'm talking about your neighbors. I'm talking about your coworkers. These are the people that are all around you all the time. 
There are relational practices. Then there are incarnational practices. This idea that we can incarnate Jesus, that we can embody him, that we can be a reflection of him to others. And yet so often we leave church and we forget that we are his ambassadors. We talked about this last week. That maybe the only place someone in your world will meet Jesus is in you. And so that you are actually a reflection of Christ in your office, in your neighborhood, at your kid's sporting event, even on the freeway. When you think you're in the safety of your car, you could actually just incarnate Christ in that moment instead of getting angry, um, like I do sometimes. Um, but there are these personal practices, these, these ways that we actually implement and move towards growing faith and radical love and relevant hope. And then there's the communal side. So there's the personal side, and then there's the communal side. And this is how we live these things out together. This is what it means to be the church. This is how we come together to actually implement vision and move towards a community of folks that, that look more and more like Jesus. And we believe that if we want to grow in faith, we need each other. I don't think you can actually trust God more on your own. You're going to need someone, at least one person that you're reaching ahead to and you're saying, you can have access to my life. I'm going to open up my life to you. I'm going to show you all the stuff, the good stuff and the bad stuff and the really, really bad stuff. And I'm going to give you freedom to speak into me and encourage me in some places and challenge me in some places. We're calling that mentoring, just life on life, one-on-one. And we're saying, hey, how we want to live that out together is we're asking you to reach ahead to someone and we're asking some of you to reach back for someone and invest in someone that they might know God more and trust Him more. Um, and then communally, we're going we're gonna to live into this idea of radical love. We're not going to just talk about radical love and shake hands with someone near you on Sunday. That's really nice. And Jerry asks us to do weird things like, tell them they sounded good today or whatever. And that's really fun. But where do you actually get a chance to get in people's lives and love them in a sacrificial way? We think, again, that happens in community group. It happens when you can get around people and you can get to know them and their marriages and their struggles and their kids. And so we're asking you to be involved in community. Some of you maybe need to take that step right now. Next week, we start an all-church community group series, and that simply means this. We're asking all of a people, everyone in this church, to be in a community group, and we're asking all of our community groups to join us for this series for seven weeks. It's a series called Emmaus, and it's really about what it means to follow Jesus. Um, and so maybe that's a step for you. And then, and then last but not least, we talked about ministry last week, how... You have unique gifts and talents and abilities given to you by God. And God says, be a part of the church. Use your gifts, talents, abilities, passions in connection with other Christ followers to advance the cause of the kingdom, to advance Jesus, to to become like him and make him known. And you cannot do that on your own. So you can have incarnational practices on your own all you want, but at some point, God says, I need you to link up and partner up with other people following Jesus so that you can work together. You see, something happens, the scriptures say, when we work together. And and that's our vision. That's how we'll actually implement it. See, we have have mission, and we have vision, and then we have strategy. And the strategy is, is, is nothing really new, but it's extremely radical. And we will be going after it and talking about it. And so if, if you are tired already of being browbeat about these things, then just do it, because we're going to talk about them and talk about them and talk about them. Because we believe, down to the core of who we are, that this is how... 
The church becomes the church. Lives get transformed. People meet Jesus. And the kingdom comes on earth. We believe this is our calling. And friends, it's our turn. And we're going to be creative and we're going to be innovative. We're going to try new things and we're going to trust God. But friends, this is our turn. It's our turn to trust God. It's our turn to follow him. Don't miss out on that. You know, and, and Jesus says, you know, if you take my teaching, if you look at my vision and then you put into practice the things that will get you from A to B, it's like building your house on a rock. And Matthew talks about rocks a lot. Um, in his gospel, actually throughout his gospel. The first time is this moment. He says, if you listen to me, if you implement my vision, if you take the steps necessary to move, you'll build your life on this steady, strong foundation. At the end of his gospel, he talks about rocks again. He actually just one rock, the big rock that was rolled in front of the tomb that gets rolled away when Jesus defeats Satan and sin and death. And he says, the rock cannot hold you back. But then in the middle, there's this other scene. Where Matthew, again, talks about rocks. He has this kind of theology of, of rocks. And it's this moment where Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he, he asks them this question. Who do people say that I am? And then, of course, Peter pipes up because he was the you know, overly ambitious student of the group. And he says, you know... You are the Christ. Actually, they say, you know, lots of people have lots of you know, opinions about you. And then Jesus says, well, who do you think I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. You're the savior of the world. And Jesus says, yeah. And on this rock, on the declaration, on that truth, on that declaration, I will build my church. I will build a community of people. And then he says this, and the gates of Hades will not pervade against it. He says, the church built on me, built on who I am. You see, when a community of people, Jesus says, puts me at the very center, puts me at the very center of who they are and who they're becoming and what they're proclaiming, even the gates of hell will not stand a chance. Even the suffering and torture and injustice and all the wrong in this world is going down eventually when people come together in community with Jesus at the center. And so this morning, as we go to the communion table, we've just stacked some rocks. And and here's the invitation. If you want to build your life on implementing Jesus, on putting him at the center, if you want to be a part of this church and this community where we're going to continue to put Jesus at the center, declare him, become like him and make him known, if you, in more than just a lip service way, say, I'm ready to implement, I'm ready to put it into practice, and I want to be a part of where God has taken this community, we invite you as a way of just saying I'm in, to take a rock. Or just... Little rocks, there's nothing special about them, but it's a way of saying, Jesus, you're my rock. And I'm a part of this church that's built on the rock. And I will do my part as a part of this community to advance your vision for Cedar Mill on this leg of the race. And so if you're in with us, take a rock, put it on your dresser, your nightstand, in your pocket, on your desk at work, and remember that you are about and a part of the greatest organism an organization and family and body in the world, and that's the church, the church of Jesus Christ. And the gates of hell will not stand against us. When you're ready, come to the table. Receive the body and blood of Christ. 
declaring the death and resurrection in Jesus at the center of who we are.